0: All right. Um, uh, we during the season of Advent, we for I don't know how many years now have uh, jumped into the lectionary readings. A Lectionary is a way of um, on the calendar reading most of scripture or all of scripture, depending on which lectionary you use. Um, and so we jump into the lectionary during Advent. You get an Old Testament reading, a Psalm, New Testament reading, and a Gospel reading. And you've heard two of them already. you The call to worship was from the psalm and the read um, the hausers read from isaiah 40 so i'm going to read the new testament reading from second peter and the gospel reading from the gospel of mark and those will be on the screen behind me if you want to read them there as well this is second peter 3 8 through the very beginning of verse 15 do not overlook this one fact beloved Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And this is from Mark chapter 1, the very beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, which will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Father, we give you thanks for the word of yours that you've spoken to us. We thank you that we can hear the scriptures read aloud. And God, we pray that you would help us not to just hear, but to listen. We pray that our hearts would be open to you and soft and sensitive to your Holy Spirit. And we pray that the word would be effective to stir up love in our heart. God, would you help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to... Speak with your scriptures rather than against. Thank you for being with us and for carrying us into the time beyond the times. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Um, I told the, the first service I uh, two weeks ago I preached and I was getting over being sick. You may remember me sounding quite different um, and uh Two days later, I started to really feel a lot better, but I, my back started hurting for I don't know why reasons, which makes it really painful to stand up <laughs> for some reason um, and only standing up. Feels great to lay down and sit. Um, I can even go to the gym and work out, and I feel great hitting golf balls, which is wonderful. But standing here hurts. So if you see me start to collapse, it's not a new thing. I'm just trying to rest my back for a second. Um, Taylor Kirkland, after the first service, like, how do, you f- how do you know how long to preach? Which I took to be a friendly way of, like, why do you preach so long? <laughs> and um, I, uh, I don't think he meant it that way, but that's how I took it. I, I said, you know, it's just an internal clock thing. Right now, my clock is about seven minutes off. It's too long right now, and you don't have to amen that, but you can. Um, hopefully, my body is going to help all of us or land at <laughs> the right time. Um, one of I, I teach. Um, you know, I've got I've got four kids, and um, they they help me because they ask me good questions, and a lot of times they're just so simplistic and childlike. And trying to figure out how to answer these big questions in the language that they will understand maybe eventually is a really good exercise. If you have kids, you've experienced this. But I also teach college students, and many of them, um, I'm teaching Old and New Testament survey, and many of them don't have any familiarity with the Bible at all. And um, they've got questions as well. And, um, you know, a, a lot of their questions are particularly relevant in this time. Uh, If you don't grow up in and around a church that does Advent, it's very weird to you Um, because you're you're living in a world that probably starting on November 1st is like all Christmas lights and happiness and, and joy. And then you go to church during Advent, or church like ours, and the readings are weird. They're like the ones that we just did about the earth burning up. And, um, and all of this profound angst and dissatisfaction. I mean, if you were here yes, uh, yesterday last week, when Ben was preaching, uh, and you've never come into Advent before, you might have thought like, you turned to the wrong channel or something. Uh, because he's acknowledging all of the, the, the not rightness of the world and the longing for things to be made right. And those things feel in profound conflict. And that's because for Christians um, who, who pay attention to the traditional liturgical calendar, we are saying it's not Christmas. It's not. It's Advent. Advent. Christmas starts on December 25th. We are not opposed to parties and feasting. We're, in fact, very much for those things. We, we would argue you, you're not good enough at them. That would be my suggestion to you. There are 12 days of Christmas on the calendar. Observe them all. Um, but we also say to be ready for the feast, it's, it's often necessary for you to fast. And Advent is meant to be a part of this season more like fasting than feasting. And it's confusing because, like, tonight we're having a Christmas party. (laughs) And I have, like, thought all these Christmas things in my calendar this month. But the church, I keep coming back into the church's time, and they keep saying it's not Christmas. It is not the season of light. Not right now. Not yet. Right now, we're paying attention to the dark because we're telling the truth. Christians are meant to be a people who tell the truth about the world and are not afraid to address what the truth really says. And Advent fights against the spirit of the age because for, for months, what you're going to be offered again and again and again is a, a life of distraction and self-comfort. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to throw all of this Nice feeling, good-looking, cheery stuff, and it's the season of light, and it's so wonderful. And Christians are not called to that life. Not like that. We're not called to take the bait of self-distraction and self-comfort. But instead, we stop, and we say that things are not as they should be. And the time that we are in, is a sign to us that we are, in a, we are in a time of longing and waiting. Advent just means coming. And, and often when you come to the readings of the Christian year in, during Advent, we're, we are kind of referring to the first coming of Jesus, like to, to the events that Lila referenced in her poem about the coming of Jesus as a baby. But many times the readings themselves are not talking about Jesus' first coming. They're talking about Jesus' second coming and us longing for Jesus' second coming. And the questions I get very frequently from my kids and from my students, they are about these the events of time because it is one of those baffling things if you are young or unfamiliar or new. It doesn't makes sense. Why? Why did it take so long in the story of Israel for Jesus to come? The events of the Old Testament are so long, centuries and centuries. Why did it take so long for Jesus to come? Why did he come when he did? Why then, so far in the past from me, 2,000 years before I've been alive. And it is an essential Christian belief that Jesus, we believe, is coming again. This is in every ancient creed of the church confessed by all of Christians everywhere. We believe that Jesus is coming again. And for people in 2023, the question quite naturally is, if that is true, why is it taking so long? What is going on? How do you reckon with what you are seeing in the world? And this is why it is essential to not move past Advent, but to embrace it. Because Advent is, is putting a lens directly over what is generating that question. Why is it taking so long? And Peter, in his writing in Second. Peter is putting his finger on this feeling. You may not even have known there was a second Peter. Many of you have not read the book of second Peter. It's a tiny little letter near the very end of the New Testament. You knew Peter was a guy, but you didn't know there was a one Peter and a two Peter or something like that. You probably never have read this book at all. You may have heard this little bit from second Peter, not even knowing it's from him, because it's a quite famous depiction of it seems like the world being set on fire, which is quite scary. But Peter says that he knows that this question is not just in my students and my kids or in me and you. The question, why is this taking so long? And I think this is the question that you should be asking if you are paying attention to the darkness of the world. It does, it, it does not take, it doesn't take a week Of paying attention to the news for you to see this question sort of sort of shouting at you. It it doesn't it doesn't matter what your political philosophy is or your understanding of history or international relations, but you can look at the events in Israel and Palestine and ask how many children does it take for it to be enough? How how much of their suffering is enough for the time? It, It doesn't matter where a political boundary is drawn, an imaginary line on a land you cannot see. No line can make children to the north or to the south less innocent and precious. How many of them must suffer and die before it's enough? And If you want, you can cast back your mind over all of human history. If Jesus is who Christians say that they believe he is. It is millennia. It is millennia of suffering how many how many global plagues how many economic collapses for some of you you don't even need to look through history you just look at your own story how much of my own physical suffering how many holidays must i spend alone how many days must i wake up to stare down the dragon of depression anxiety how long when when will it be enough what is the point of all of this? It is it is tempting when looking at all of that to come to the conclusion that it feels like Peter's readers might be coming to. God must have been waylaid or distracted. God must have abandoned us. But Peter knows what it feels like to, to face the darkness, to to face That story in the midst of suffering. And he gives us in this passage a compass, a theological and emotional compass to reinterpret our understanding of the time that we are in. And what he's saying is, God is in fact not distracted, he has not been waylaid, he has not been lost. He has not abandoned. In fact, everything about this time that we are in, this distracting and disorienting and darkness filled time, is defined not by God's absence or failure, but patience. Peter describes for us that we are meant to approach the time that we live in with the understanding. That God is not absent, but that he is patient. That he, in fact, is doing something according to his own desires, which are for good. And that then all who are in this time are meant to endure it, to move through it, anticipating that God is being patient for a reason. And the reason is to do good. The the. The passage from Isaiah that we heard, it it, it is coming right in the place in the book of Isaiah where this this is a live question for the people of Israel. For hundreds of years, God has been patient with them, beckoning them, telling them to leave behind their old gods, to actually be a monotheistic people and worship only one God instead of all the other people's gods. And he keeps telling them that he will respond to their unfaithfulness. And he's going to send Babylon, and Babylon's going to come in, he's going to wipe everything out, they're going to take over and export people and kill a bunch of people. It's going to be chaos and destruction. And right at this point, Isaiah chapter 40, in the book of Isaiah, the news turns. Because what the God of Israel begins to say is that there is a time on the other side of this time when he will send comfort. And what, what you're hearing is God saying to this heavenly council, to the prophet standing before him, Go to my people and tell them of comfort. Because what he says is the time will serve its purpose and will come to a close. Right there at the beginning, it tells you the purpose and the turning of the time. It says judgment will be over because they will have received double for all their sins. The penalty will have been paid and the season of discomfort will be over. And, And this message, this announcing that God is going to come Towards his people to provide this turning of the times is exactly why the book of Mark, it starts with the words from the prophet. Nobody speaks in the Gospel of Mark before the prophet. The prophet starts with this announcement that God is going to come close. And that then the ministry of John the Baptist is to fulfill this picture. And John the Baptist is going to be one who is announcing the coming close of God. And what then is at the heart of John's message? It is the same thing that is at the head of Isaiah's message in Isaiah chapter 40, and it's right at the middle of God's desires in 2 Peter. It is repentance. What God wants, Peter says. The reason why he delays, the reason for his patience, is he wants all people to come to repentance. Now, it's hard to hear this message about repentance and to hear it in the right way. We are disinclined. We, we are kind of by nature and by habit and by training prone to hear it the wrong way. We, we hear of like crazy guy and camel here eating bugs, shouting at people to repent. And that sounds uh, it, weird at best, it's a little scary. We hear in Second Peter chapter 3, and there's all this like the heavens being melted and dissolved and the earth being exposed and, and laid bare. And it, uh, fire is in there a lot. And what it feels like, what it sounds like, is that repentance comes at the point of a sort. It feels like, it sounds like, because of both us and what we've been told and the examples, and I would say misreading, that what, what we're actually being told is God is about to light you up. And he's kind of eager to do it. So you better take the chance that you can. And you better repent before judgment comes. Now look, there there is certainly a note of warning in the entirety of the book of Isaiah. There is is a note of warning in what Peter is saying in 2 Peter chapter 3 and what John is announcing. People are threatened by what John says. There is a kind of threat that's there. But it is not the threat that we so naturally imagine. Because I would say for throughout the whole biblical story, repentance is a doorway placed in time, which is a portal and a window into a different kind of world. And the announcement of the invitation to repentance is not an announcement of God's very eager desire to fry you. Repentance is instead the announcement that the God who speaks and comes close to his people is the God who would offer comfort to those who have been afflicted. Now, what what is what is tricky and hard to understand is that for you and for me, Sin very often does not feel like something that it is pressing to turn away from. Most people, when they are sinning, are happy. Most people, when they are struggling with sin, it does not feel like struggle. That's why if you are not a Christian, and a Christian comes to you and says, Hey, you should stop sinning. And you ask, What do you mean? What is sin? And it is described for you, you say... I like doing those things. Why should I stop doing those things? Sin and repentance feels like there's a box drawn around a bunch of arbitrary behaviors and basically all the stuff or much of the stuff that feels very fun and satisfying to you is for some reason not in the box. And somebody who wants to dominate you and control you and oppress you just for some reason changes the rules of the game on you and wants you to just do what he says. That's what repentance is. It feels like it must come with a threat because the sin part is fun. It is immediately gratifying. It is satisfying to do what you desire. And so repentance feels like it has to come at the point of a sword. or else why would you ever want to stop sinning? But repentance is a proclamation and acknowledgement That even though you feel happy and are satisfied, you are already eating from the table of judgment. And the terrible truth of it is, you can't even tell the difference. See, one of the most horrible judgments that God ever dishes out in Scripture is not the raining down of fire or the invasion of Babylon. It is saying to his people, you can have whatever you want. You can do exactly what you like. And that is judgment. In my house, we have this thing. It's called sugar. Have you heard of it? Familiar with it? We have uh, many fans of sugar... In my house. I don't know what it's like in your house. People in my house like sugar. They're born that way, liking sugar. They don't have to be taught, they just like it. And my kids, let's assume not the adults, just the kids, my kids, to have what they would like, they would be happy, happy, satisfied delighted, thrilled if I set a bag of sugar in front of them and gave them a spoon. They eat bite after bite after bite, and guess what? Sugar is awesome. It just keeps tasting like sugar. And every time the sweetness goes out of your mouth, you put more in your mouth. Now, you and I know if reasonable rational responsible adults if i sat my kids down at the table with a bag of sugar with a spoon and said you can have what you like i am not doing good to them they are happy and in fact when i find them sneaking To the bag of sugar with the spoon and I intervene and I stop them and I take away from them this arbitrary choice to take from them what has made them so easily and readily happy and instead put a salad in front of them. What kind of monster am I that would do this to them? That's what it feels like. That's what it looks like from their perspective. I have made them be forfeit of pleasure that is so easily and readily available to them. What I'm telling them is actually, when you are sitting and chowing down on sugar, you are definitely bringing ruin on yourself. It will fall upon your head. With every spoonful that you shovel into your body, you are days, hours, minutes from destruction That will be wrought upon our furniture, in the bathroom, and anywhere else. You will experience the fullness of the destruction and judgment that you are already eating right now. But because I love you, because I know better than you, I will tell you, you cannot have this. And it says you need to eat vegetables. You need to eat meat. You can actually have very little sugar because it's not good for you. It'll destroy you. When God invites you to repent, he is not doing it because he delights in your destruction. He is not doing it at the point of a sword. He is not saying, if you would just do whatever you wanted and I didn't intervene, you would be happy and fine. He's saying, if I didn't intervene, you would be happy until you happy yourself to death. He is not inviting you to repent because he's opposed to you. He's inviting you to repent because these appetites that are driving you, defining you, are the things that have wrought the darkness upon the world. The time that we are living in that makes us wonder, where is God? What is taking him so long? The things that break our hearts to see the suffering of the world, these things are not from God. These things are not his desire. He is waiting with patience so that people would repent and move away from all of the darkness that is consuming this entire world. His offer of repentance is not because he he needs to threaten you in to a life away from all kinds of good pleasure. He is instead opening a door to you inviting you away from the table of destruction and judgment of your own choosing and finding your seat with him at a life that is actually and truly good because he loves you. Notice the picture of the God who speaks in Isaiah 40. He is the shepherd king whose glory is his presence with his people. And what he wants to do to you is not punish you into good behavior, but like a little lamb to scoop you to his chest, to walk with you as if you were pregnant with new life and lead you to places of goodness and flourishing. That is the heart of repentance. What Peter is saying is there will be a time beyond this time. Where God will say, it's done. And what he's describing is not the destruction of the world. People have read that passage in Second Peter and said, I guess it doesn't matter what we do with the world because it's all going to burn anyway. That's not the fire that Peter's describing. Peter's describing the collapsing of the heavens and the purging open of earth and humanity standing naked before God. The God who has seen the whole time. Who has seen everything. And you and I will be exposed before him. God is the God of the fire. But what is the fire he longs to give? It's right there in John's preaching. I've come and I've baptized you with water. But there is one coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It is not a mistake that on Pentecost, the early church sees the fire fall from the heavens. And it is the fire of God's own presence that will consume, inundate, suffuse, douse, immerse his people in his presence. God does want to send the fire. Not the fire of judgment, but the fire of the presence of his love, his very self, with his people. And Peter says that the entirety of this time, this why, this how long, is a, a changing and a refining of who we are. A curbing of our appetites towards godliness and holiness bending the shape of our hearts away from appetites that would destroy us and instead towards the peace of God that only comes in Jesus. So that every day that you have of God's patience is a gift to you. A gift of preparation for the day that you will stand before him and see him face to face and not be afraid to be exposed and seen entirely. And if you don't follow Jesus, these scriptures are meant to be heard by you as a plea to you. What God wants for you is to do good to you. What he wants to give to you is a gift. What he wants for you is not the purging and exposing a fire which will lay bare everything that you have invested in your life that has come to nothing and done nothing for you but begin to feed you judgment. Instead what he wants to do is to bring you into his glory to make camp with you, to make life with you, to baptize you with himself so that you would not have to Turn away from what seems tasty and good and easy, but instead move away from that and into what is true and lasting and beautiful and the source of every good thing that you can possibly imagine. He wants to bring you in to his own life. Why is he taking so long? Why? Because he loves you. He does. The darkness that you feel, it presses in. It's real. It's not an illusion. And we don't have to pretend otherwise. But he's not lost track of you. He's not lost sight of you or been delayed. But in the person of his son, he is still the God who comes close to you into the depths of your very person so that all of you might go through this portal of repentance, the door between the times, and you can live in a different kind of place even now until one day you will not have just the down payment of his Holy Spirit. You will have before you the fullness of your inheritance in him to live in light of his face, to see him with your own eyes, to see all of reality, a new heaven and a new earth, remade past the era of judgment and into the never-ending comfort of God with his people. If today you follow Jesus and you have grown tired, you have grown mystified, You have grown frustrated, defeated, and sad at the state of the world. You're not crazy. You're meant to see that. But God has not abandoned you. By the power of his Holy Spirit, his presence with you, you can and you will endure, and he will finish the work that he started. So be at peace with God. Be at peace more and more day by day, as he works his will in you. And if today you are not a Christian, you're not following Jesus, and you are perfectly happy, I get it. It makes total sense. But the world is telling you the truth, even the truth that maybe you can't feel or see so well. All is not right. It's not right with the world, and you are a part of the world. All is not right with you. And because God loves you, not because he's against your fun or your joy, but because he is for it, he has thrown open the door called repentance. And if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. All repentance is, is turning around and going towards Jesus if you hear his voice today and you want the lasting, thick, real, permanent joy of life with God through God's own life, if you hear his voice, turn and move through the door of repentance and he will do good to you and for you and with you until you see him with your own eyes and until the darkness itself is dead. This is the peace of God offered to you this second week of Advent. Let me pray for us. Living God, we give you thanks. We thank you that the, the darkness does not overcome the light. It feels oftentimes like it does. I thank you, though, that in you we have a persistent, a lasting, and inconquerable hope. That we, we don't have to hear the word of repentance as threat, but instead as invitation. We don't have to be afraid and worried that what you want, really want to do is you want to squash us, roast us alive. But instead, you would offer repentance because you want to lavish your love on us. We are people who cannot discern our own appetites. We take pleasure in what we should not. We are repelled by the things to which we should be drawn. We are often confused, and you are so patient with us. Thank you. I pray that we would be reminded that your heart is to have mercy to a thousand generations. God, I pray that you would forgive us for viewing you with suspicion or fear to thinking that you'd wanna just dominate or control us for whatever reason we doubt or question that you have for us freedom in life. Forgive us, God. Help us to trust you and to trust what we see in Jesus. And God, I pray for those who are here who've never followed you, who are comfortable and happy living life under their own guidance and on according to their own terms. God, I pray that you would help them to see that a life dominated by their own wisdom, their own appetites and desires and happiness is not a life of goodness, but in you is a better life. I pray that you would help them to trust you, that you would open their eyes to see the truth, and that you would help them to move through the door of repentance and come home to find their comfort in you over any person or anything else. God, we give you thanks for being patient with all of us, no matter how near or far we are. You are so, so good to us. Let our eyes be fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who will surely carry us home until the day of his second advent. We pray this in that precious name of Jesus. Amen.